Welcome again to the Business of Kush, the cannabis business podcast where your host Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA, and his guests talk about all the business side of the cannabis industry, including accounting, finance, investing, and news of the day. If you're a cannabis business owner, investor, or industry insider looking for the dopest tips to make more money, improve profits, and increase the value of your cannabis business, you're in the right place. And now, here's your host, Chip Schweiger. Hi, folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Business of Kush, the podcast where you get one actionable tip each week to increase the value of your cannabis business. And for our regular listeners and subscribers, welcome back, and thanks for joining us again this week. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. And if you are a new listener, a very warm welcome to what in a short time has become one of the top cannabis business podcasts. So if you found yourself here for the first time, you're in great company. Once again, I'm your host, Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA, and I'm that guy who's made it his mission to see you and your cannabis business grow. And just to set the table for the new listeners, I'm a 27-year veteran of public accounting and corporate finance. I'm also the founder and managing member of a CPA firm that helps marijuana, hemp, and CBD businesses stay on the right side of tax, accounting, and finance, while also applying proven methodologies to help you grow your cannabis business. And I created this podcast with you in mind. So maybe you're a cannabis entrepreneur who wants to make more money or build a more valuable cannabis business. Or perhaps you're an investor and are looking to keep your finger on the pulse of our industry. Well, I'll tell you, regardless of where you are in the cannabis community, or even if you're looking to get into the legal marijuana business, you're welcome here at the Business of Kush, and I hope you find value in these weekly episodes. We built this thing for you, so how you feel about the topics we discuss, the guests we have, and the episodes we record is super important. So, several weeks back, I gave a talk in New Mexico at the Lucky Leaf Expo about the basics of accounting and finance for cannabis entrepreneurs. It's one that I've given before, and it's a great way to help budding entrepreneurs get ready to be in this industry or to help those that are already here grow their businesses. So, the talk goes on, and I always take questions as they come up. My theory is, if you've got a question, it's usually about something we're talking about right at that moment, so let's discuss your questions so that everyone benefits. I've just never been one of those folks that asks, please hold all your questions to the end. I mean, I just think that's dumb. So, as you might expect, there were questions about setting up a cannabis company and what makes for a successful application. Had a question about how to get it right in terms of running the day-to-day operations. And yes, tons of questions about our favorite tax demon, Section 280E of the Internal Revenue Code. And in that, the session wasn't too different, I guess, than the questions I received so many times before. So near the end, though, a lady raises her hand and asks a really interesting question. Now, she prefaced it by reminding us about the discussion we had just had about the lack of safe banking for cannabis companies and the risk we see all the time about the handling of large amounts of cash and the advent of delivery services and armored cars. And so her question was about my thoughts on using Bitcoin as a currency for her dispensary products. So the room falls silent, everyone leans forward and waits for my thoughts. Now, I've actually visited with clients before about this, so I definitely have thoughts like, yes, you can do it, 
But before you do, you need to understand the risks and the complexities involved with it. Ended up being a more involved discussion than we really had time for there. And while I followed up with her later, or actually she followed up with me, I thought I'd give the fuller discussion to all of you on this episode. So this week, we're going to color outside the lines a bit and talk about cryptocurrencies and what you should know about them. So if you've thought about it, I think you'll learn some things maybe you didn't know. And if you said to yourself something along the lines of, I'll never, I urge you to keep listening because there may be something that, well, you didn't know. We'll talk about the pros and the cons, as well as the regulatory considerations if you're planning to take a virtual currency as payment, regardless of your vertical. But first, a bit of background. So when we talk about cryptocurrencies, we're talking about a virtual currency, and a virtual currency can be defined as virtual money. It's issued by its developers and used within a given virtual community. The European Banking Authority defines virtual currency as a digital representation of value that is neither issued by a central bank or a public authority, nor necessarily attached to a fiat currency, but is accepted by natural or legal persons as a means of payment and can be transferred, stored, or traded electronically. FinCEN defines virtual currency as a medium of exchange that operates like a currency in some environments, but doesn't have all the attributes of a real currency. In particular, virtual currency does not have legal tender status in any jurisdiction. Now that's starting to change, and we're going to talk about that later. Now the IRS. The IRS defines virtual currency actually as property, not as a currency. So that complicates things even a bit more, but we're going to get to that too. Now, regardless of how you define it, there are three generally accepted types of virtual currencies. The first one is what we call a single flow virtual currency, and they're similar to coupons. So common examples are frequent flyer miles with airlines and maybe Amazon coin. The currency can be purchased or provided with a purchase and can be used to purchase goods and services from a provider, but cannot be purchased or exchanged on an open market. The second type is a convertible virtual currency, and convertible virtual currencies can be purchased and sold on exchanges and used to complete transactions with individuals, with businesses, and with governments. Bitcoin is probably the most well-known convertible virtual currency. Three, there's also growing talk about crypto tokens, which is a type of virtual currency that represents fungible or tradable assets or utilities that reside on their own blockchains. Now, crypto tokens are kind of new and are a very niche product. So when you hear someone talking about a non-fungible token or an NFT, they're talking about a crypto token. All virtual currencies are based on a technology known as blockchain. And blockchains are really just a secure list of records held on diverse computers, which are called nodes, that are used to record and verify data. A cryptocurrency is a digital currency using cryptography to secure transactions and to control the creation of new currency units. Now, not all virtual currencies use cryptography, so cryptocurrencies end up being a subset of the broader virtual currency population. Now, as we mentioned, Bitcoin is the first and most famous cryptocurrency, first released in 2009, and according to legend, Satoshi Nakamoto began working on the Bitcoin concept in 2007. While he is on record as living in Japan, it's actually speculated that Nakamoto may be a collective pseudonym 
for more than one person. So fast forward, and there are now thousands of different types of crypto coins on the market today, including some very specific ones. But cryptocurrencies in general, and Bitcoin in specific, have a relatively long history in our instantaneous economy, but not without some controversy. So the Financial Action Task Force, which is an intergovernmental group that develops and promotes policies to prevent money laundering and the funding of terrorists, publishes their money laundering using new payments methods back in, I think, 2010 or 2011 to warn about the use of digital currencies to finance terrorist groups. And we read almost every day about scams involving Bitcoin or some other virtual currency. So some fun facts. In May 2nd of 2013, the first Bitcoin ATM in the world is debuted in San Diego, California. November 19th of 2013, Bitcoin moves more money than Western Union as Bitcoin transaction volume surpasses Western Union. And in October of 2021, El Salvador became the first country to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender. Now, one other thing to understand is Bitcoins are not the only cryptocurrency being used on the Internet. There are a multitude of initial coin offerings being sold to investors. Many organizations are looking to profit from the popularity of cryptocurrency, and the investors hope that they will get rich quick with a new virtual currency. There are other popular cryptocurrencies beside Bitcoin, like Ethereum, Dogecoin, and one called Binance Coin that is interestingly pegged to the U.S. dollar. And I say interestingly because the hallmark of cryptocurrencies is this sort of disdain for centralized banking. And there are even some marijuana-based cryptocurrencies, including Potcoin, Cannabis Coin, Dope Coin, <laughs> Hemp Coin, and Canacoin. Love all those names. Now, if you want to transact in cryptocurrencies, I highly, like really highly recommend you use a virtual currency wallet to buy, store, and use virtual currencies. And this wallet is a software program that stores private and public keys and interacts with the virtual currencies blockchains. Don't use something else that somebody suggests you. Don't use a sheet of paper or a spreadsheet. Use a wallet. The wallet doesn't store the virtual currencies or coins. It only maintains the information that allows the users to access the information for their transactions on the blockchain. Now, when a virtual currency transaction occurs, nothing is actually transferred. When an individual sends a virtual currency to someone, they are signing over the ownership of the Bitcoin, for example, to another person. The public and private keys are compared, and if they match, the ownership is transferred and the transaction is recorded on the blockchain. Now, if you watched the Super Bowl, you saw a masterful commercial with a mysterious QR code changing colors and floating around the screen. And I say masterful because in one minute, over 20 million people visited the landing page for Coinbase, which was from that commercial. That's just amazing. So here's why you should consider transacting in cryptocurrencies in your cannabis business. And look, before we go forward, I feel like I should repeat the general disclaimer of the podcast. 
This podcast and related materials are designed only for the general information regarding the subject matter discussed during the podcast episodes. The statutes, authorities, and other laws cited in this podcast are subject to change. This podcast and related materials are not intended to provide tax, accounting, legal, or other professional advice to any specific person or entity. Any advice or opinion regarding the application of the subject matter for a specific person or entity should be provided by a competent professional advisor based on the application of the applicable and appropriate law and authorities to the facts and circumstances applicable to that person or entity. You should fully consider the risks involved. Okay, here we go. The first reason to consider using cryptocurrencies in your cannabis business is that cryptocurrencies have no intermediary, which means there's no central bank backing. So if you want to get out from under the monetary policies of any government and the unelected bureaucrats who control the money flow, cryptocurrencies are a place to find that. There's a reason why China made it illegal to mine cryptocurrencies, and that's because they can't stand not having control over the money flows. Also, cryptocurrencies provide anonymity. So there's no check copies that can be provided from your credit union to somebody else. You stay anonymous. But there is also great transparency inside the crypto market of how they are exchanged and how they are traded, and especially if you use a virtual wallet. And I don't mean transparency to the general public. I mean transparency to you. Now, another good reason you'll see is relatively lower fees for transacting in cryptocurrencies, and especially when considering the lack of safe banking in this country available to plant-touching companies. Transactions in cryptocurrencies are also irreversible. So once the money's in your wallet, it stays there unless you transfer it to somebody else or your wallet is stolen, which cyberjacking, by the way, is a real thing and is all over social media. Cryptocurrencies have worldwide use and access, no tracking, and no third-party seizure. And on this last point, I suggest to every client I work with to do things the right way so you don't have to worry about the government seizing your funds. But sometimes it happens by mistake. And this is like it did in Georgia recently when law enforcement seized property and cash from a retailer selling legal hemp products. Now, the good news is the courts ordered the cops to give it all back, With cryptocurrencies, though, you don't have to worry about it because no one can get your crypto unless you initiate a transfer of it. Now, with everything in life and in this business, it's not all unicorns and lollipops. There are some very real risks you should consider seriously before diving into cryptocurrencies. Most importantly, there is unbelievable volatility and risk of loss. For example, the value of most cryptocurrencies moves in sporadic directions based on little observable market conditions, and sometimes for no reason at all. Now, my personal crypto holdings, let's take a look at them. Um, Let's see, in the last hour, looks like we're down. No, I take that back. We're up, actually, it looks like about 4-ish percent, but we could be down 20% in the next hour. So, for example, you do accept cryptocurrency for a quarter that sells for maybe like 45 or 50 bucks, by the time you get around to actually converting that to dollars, it could be worth 30 bucks or it could be worth 70 bucks. And that's a lot of risk to assume. Another risk to seriously consider is hacking and theft. As I mentioned, we see this a lot on social media and I can guarantee you most of them are scams intended to get your money and your wallet. Not all of them, But there are a ton of them on Instagram, and they usually involve very elaborate schemes to steal from you. Now, like every other growth industry, ours included, dealing in cryptocurrencies can be buggy. 
There's a, not a lot of rules and there's not a lot of regulations and there's a lot of folks trying to make a fast buck. So maybe not fully fleshed out systems. So just be aware of that. And as we talked about, wallets can be stolen. So there's no guarantee of value and there's also, there's no buyer protections. So for example, if you buy something at Best Buy using cash or your credit card and it doesn't work out, you can go back in, you can return the item and you can get a credit. There's really no mechanism right now to do that with cryptocurrencies. And I guess the last downside is there's no physical asset. They're coins, yes, but they're virtual coins. So there's really nothing to jingle in your pocket. Now, only you can decide if the benefits of cryptocurrency outweigh the risks. But if you do decide to use them, here are some regulatory considerations. For federal tax purposes, virtual currency is treated as property, as we talked about before. General tax principles applicable to property transactions also apply to transactions using virtual currency. Virtual currency cannot be reported as a currency transaction, and no foreign currency gain or loss can be claimed on a U.S. tax filing. A taxpayer who receives virtual currency as payment for goods or services must, in computing their gross income, include the fair market value of the virtual currency measured in U.S. dollars, as well as the date that the virtual currency was received. Taxpayers must choose a valuation methodology for record keeping to determine the tax basis for virtual currencies. So you've got some extra work to do here. Now, if a virtual currency is listed on an exchange and the exchange rate is established by market supply and demand, the fair market value of the virtual currency is determined by converting the virtual currency into U.S. dollars at that exchange rate in a reasonable manner that is consistently applied. So you can't just pick and choose when you're using the market and when you're going to use a different fair value measurement. You got to use the same thing consistently. And lastly, a payment made using virtual currencies is subject to information reporting to the same extent as any other payment made in property. For example, a person who in the course of a trade or business makes a payment of income using virtual currency with a value of $600 or more is required to report the payment to the IRS and to the payee on Form 1099. Now, examples of payments of fixed and determinable income include rent, salaries, wages, premiums, annuities, and compensation. So if you're using cryptocurrency for any one of those, you've got the same reporting requirements as you do for cash. Now, if you're interested in learning more about whether cryptocurrencies are right for your cannabis business, drop me a note at chip at thegreenleafcpa.com and we'll set up a time to talk. That kind of sounded like a cheesy commercial, didn't it? Now, in full disclosure, I'm not a cryptocurrency expert, nor am I a miner or a trader, but I have done work in this area, so I'll fill you in on all the details and let you make an informed decision. I'll also give you more of my take on these so-called crypto traders and binary trading experts that you see on social media all the time. Stuff I probably shouldn't say on a podcast episode if that gives you any indication about how I really feel about them. Okay, let's get to our last segment, and that's the one that we call News of the Day. News of the Day. Okay, we're just going to do one news story this week because we kind of ran long talking about cryptocurrencies. And this one comes from, let's see, let's go with this one, from MJ Biz Daily. And the headline reads, Marijuana industry will add nearly $100 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. That's billion with a B. So when considering whether to approve a regulated marijuana industry, advocates 
often tout the broader economic benefits of the additional tax revenue created. And we've talked about this on this podcast. But the beneficial impact exceeds just the tax dollars. The total U.S. economic impact from marijuana sales in 2022, according to this article, is expected to reach $99 billion, up more than 20% from last year and upwards of $155 billion in 2026, according to an analysis from the newly published MJ Biz Factbook. To measure the industry's economic impact, the MJ Biz Daily data team analyzed similar industries, consulted with economists, and applied a standard multiplier of 2.8 on projected recreational and marijuana retail sales. And really, the reason I mention this is when you've got an industry that is churning out economic activity of $100 billion and up upwards of $155 billion, you're really talking about an industry that deserves full access to the capital markets, deserves full access to banking, and really deserves to be legalized. And so I'm hopeful that this will be one more push to help the folks in Washington and the states that are not yet legal figure this out and start to legalize marijuana. Hey, quick question for you. Are you liking what you're hearing on the business of Kush? Well, if so, please consider dropping us a note at our website at bizofcush.com. Now, if you do go there, you'll see that we've got every episode with the show notes and a place for you to ask questions or provide feedback on what you'd like to hear more of. This show is for you. So if you're stuck on something in your cannabis business, let us know and we'll help you dig into it. So head on over to bizofcush.com and please drop us a note. And even if you just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you either in a comment or you can leave us a voice message while you're there. And one last reminder, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. And all of them are at bizofcush. So let's connect. And with that, we're done for this week. Thanks again for your continued support of the podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. We'll see you. You've been listening to The Business of Kush, the podcast for cannabis business owners, investors, and industry insiders. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast. It's easy to do by clicking on that subscribe button or follow button. And you can also follow us on social media at at BizOfKush or visit us on the web at www.thegreenleafcpa.com forward slash listen. We'll catch you in the next episode. And thanks again for listening to The Business of Kush.